Hello, you're listening to Track by Track, the Trash Music Podcast, with me, Dan Bull, editor of Trash, which you can find at movetotrash.co.uk, and me, Will Warren, music enthusiast and contributor to Trash. And this week, we're joined for the first time by a third, and from our sister podcast, uh, Torn Stubbs, the Trash Movie Podcast, uh, Robert Gershenson. Hello! Hello, Robert. Hi. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me on. I love this podcast. Oh, that's great to hear, especially as you are... I am the Stuart Price. I'm the Stuart Price to your pet shop boys. Oh, what a lovely analogy. (laughs) We don't normally talk about said producer on the podcast. And the reason why we have Robert with us on the podcast today is uh, to discuss this week's album and this week's artists, of which you count yourself a big fan. Yeah, this album, when it came out, have you met, or can we mention the name of the album? Let's, let's say it, let's say it out loud. So it's Scissor Sisters by Scissor Sisters. It's their debut album. And I remember when this album came out, I was living in Leeds. I was there for university. And I'd come out in first year, and this came out maybe a year, 18 months later. And it just hit at the right time. Like, it was a zeitgeist thing. Do you remember this? That it just hit around the time that sort of socially and culturally... LGBTQ movement in this country had kind of like social and cultural attitudes towards the LGBT community had kind of gotten to the point where the age of consent had been equalised, Section 28 was repealed and civil partnerships were introduced and then suddenly you had this band that kind of encapsulated that whole thing. So as a little newbie gay boy, they were like the perfect band for me to sort of attach myself to. And I remember seeing them live and their first... Leeds show and it was in this little gig venue called the cockpit I've been there you've been there lovely so it's underneath the the station in Leeds and these arches and you know I've, I've always heard of people saying oh I saw take that when I was a kid and I looked at Robbie and I thought oh we're gonna get married this is it this is it and I've always thought you're talking nonsense but then when Jake came out on that stage and he was topless and he was wearing tight leather trousers that left nothing to the imagination I had this wave over me saying this is it I'm going to run away with Jake and we're going to be really happy together and and it didn't happen oh, <laughs> such a shame I thought that was going to end very differently that story no, it didn't I, happen and I got in the way Oh, I do know what you mean I remember when they were first obviously they they got together in 2001 Mm -hmm. on the gay scene in New York at the time. And I remember the early performances in London were at a very small nightclub called The Cock. Um, I wasn't fortunate enough to be there, but one of my really good friends was. And almost so similar, that kind of felt like a real moment in time, felt like a real emergence of a new new kind of behaviour and a new way of thinking. And that, they wore that loud and proud. Mm. Dan, what was your first uh, memories of the Scissor Sisters? So I was in sixth form when they uh, came out, and I remember my friends going to see them. Um, I didn't really know who they were, so then I, I listened to them after all of this had happened, and I was gutted that I missed out on this gig because you could just tell that something was going to happen with these with this band. And from then on, we'd whenever we'd we'd all just pass our driving tests, and whenever we drove anywhere, we'd play this album to death. Mm. We'd drive to Cleethorpes for the day and. <clears throat> Singing along to tits on the radio. Oh, so only the good places. <laughs> that was with my friends, not with my mum. Nana. <laughs> <laughs> so the album, we're going to be talking about their debut album, Scissor Sisters. It was released in February two thousand and four. Did phenomenally well in the UK. Uh, number one album in the charts in the UK. Didn't fare quite as well in the states. 
but I think they really found a spiritual home in the UK audience in the crowd. Should we dive into the first track? I think we should. So, side one, track one, this is Laura. So that was Laura, first track on the album. It was the first single they released, but it was re-released. Because I guess it didn't get as big an audience and success first time round. Got to number 54 in the singles charts first time round. Respectable for a first single from a non-native band, perhaps. But that's also when the charts actually meant something. Yeah. It's pre-streaming, so it was important back then. So it did sell actual physical copies. Robert, are you a fan of that song? What do you think about it as an album opener? Oh, I think it's... Perfect. It's got that kind of bum 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 bum. It sounds like Dolly Parton's Nine to Five, mixed with like a sped up Jaws theme tune. You know, nah 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 nah. But it's kind of got that kind of carnival umpapa sound to it, which kind of is a, a way of them saying this is us. The carnival's here. Almost like the way the Monty Python used that kind of music to announce now for something completely different. And then they they roll into their theme tune. It I does, doesn't it? Yeah. I can't get out of my head the image of Jaws, but instead of the fin, it's Dolly Parton's tits. Kind of <laughs> God. what you've just put in my mind. But it's great. I love it. I think you're right. I think it does, it, they, it sets their stall out really well for their, certainly for this first album, the kind of sound and experience that you're going to get. It's, it's fun. It's very jaunty. It's slightly off the wall. It sounds a bit like things you've heard bits of before. For me... Almost goes into the Thomas the Tank Engine theme halfway through, <laughs> but always oh, that just me. I remember this used to get played. I used to go to a club night called Homo, just across the road from the cockpit in Leeds. Oh, they weren't subtle in Leeds, <laughs> were they? <laughs> no, um, but this when they played this when this the second time this song was released when it actually did some business. Number twelve, second Number time 12. round. But the opening, everyone used to do their drunken version of Russian dancing. The whole club were going up and down, up and down, up and down. Essentially, but with legs. Yeah, I love the simplicity of the opening and kind of for that first half, just that piano and that that bass and that beat. It's all all very simple and I love how Mm. it kind of builds up to this kind of swirling, the saxophone comes in and I hear a lot, and I know the the band, the Scissor Sisters count rocks music as an inspiration, and I hear so much rock to music in this song, and actually yeah. quite a few of the other songs. Like on The Strand. Album. Yeah. Maybe the, the singles, but I don't listen to their albums. I don't think I've ever listened to their albbums. Was More Than This, was that Roxy Music? <laughs> more Than This. Yeah, I love that. Was that not just Brian Ferry on his own, More Than This? I think it was rock to music, but there's such... It, that's one of those weird bands where, if he released a solo album, quite often it would be rock to music playing the instruments in the background, but it would just be released as a... As a Brian Ferry album. Yeah. But when they go on tour, it's usually now Brian Ferry and Roxy Music, yeah. in the same way that Boy Culture, Culture Club has now yeah. become Boy George and Culture Club. So is All Saints going to become Shazney Lewis and All Saints? Well, you're listening to <laughs> Danville and Track by Track. Uh, <laughs> and it's time to move on to the next song now. So this is Take Your Mama.
take him on a track to probably one of their most well-known still now, even after everything they've done, one of their most well-known tracks. Definitely, I'd say, yeah. I love all that country music sound in that song. It's almost like if a new wave band had made a country album, that is what it would sound like. If Blondie did a, a country album, that Take Your Mama would be like the lead single off that album. Yeah. Yeah, I love how it starts with that acoustic guitar, especially from Laura that starts with the, the kind of very... Like Elton John piano. Keyboard, yeah. It's very, um, it's very synthetic. Yes. Whereas this is very acoustic. Uh, what I love about this song is that over that... There's that great guitar solo from Del Marquis towards the end, but bedded underneath is a piano solo playing a completely different solo, and it's gorgeous, and neither one unbalances the other. It's yeah. really balanced, and you can, you know, if you listen to it once, you can just pay attention to the piano, and if, then if you play it again immediately, you can listen to the guitar, and it's easy to spot either. It's gorgeous. Mm. Gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. gorgeous. And they've returned to this sound continually through their career, maybe less so on Nightwork, but certainly the first three albums, that country slash modern pop sound is something that they very much made their own. I think Jake's voice, his, he was born in the South, wasn't he? So his, West his, Virginia. His voice and his infliction lean more towards the country side of things. Yeah. And this is the first time we hear his falsetto as well. Laura is, is, remains very much in that lower range. Yes. Um, this is where we really hear the falsetto. And this is the bit, I think, if you see them live... This is the bit you really want to belt out because you know that with the music that loud and that many people singing, you, no one can hear how terrible you sound. Oh, it's definitely a, a drunken sing around the piano song. Mm. Oh, and you would definitely hear it. We talk, we've talked before about songs you'd hear on a, a wedding reception and it is one of those songs that you would hear. Yes. Because people would just go crazy and sing along. And I was just thinking, the other thing I was thinking as well is the juxtaposition between... Jake Shears and his almost sort of country boy roots and and vocals and where you have animatronic who's very much the kind of city girl being around the block I'm sure she wouldn't mind us saying that <laughs> I think she probably would actually <laughs> self-respecting woman would if you didn't know she was on the album would you be able to hear her vocals would you be able to pinpoint that's Anna that's Jake on this particular song not on this particular song I think she came into her own a lot more kind of beyond this album. Mm. And whenever I think of animatronic now, I think of all of the songs featuring animatronic where she does the kind of sassy like verse or contribution to it. Because so like, um, that's like Kiki and oh, I was oh, thinking Jet, of she's on, um, safe by Duran Duran and Jetstream by new order. And she's done a lot of work with bright light, bright light as well. Yes where she's that kind of great, she's the guest vocalist that kind of chimes in two thirds of the way through the song. Yeah. Uh, always to really good effect. But back in this album, she was much more part of the mix. Yeah. A very low volume part of the mix. <laughs> what, off? Yeah, pretty much. I think they did the sound check and she was like, oh, that's great, I sounded great. And then they're like, they're like ladies first off the stage and then Jake's like, cut hers, cut hers. <laughs> Bitch. <laughs> he, he, he is. Yeah. Yes. It is a shame because she, she in that, that first album and on the, on those first tours, apart from the, the one song that... She, she always gets one lead 
on a on an album and that her song's coming up on this one but she always felt like a backing singer who somehow had made her way to the front of the stage and wasn't being told to get back yeah I love the dynamic though I think it's great mm. it's a bit like I the, think maybe because back in the day the stage was so small that the front of the stage <laughs> was the back of the stage as True. well so she became a front person she got used to it right track three track three and comfortably numb hello hello I do remember when we were driving to Cleethorpes and listening to this song, we'd always try and come in at the right moment um, for the hello. How was oh, wow. that? That's pitch perfect. Actually, that was perfect. It? Jake's gone. Where was it? <laughs> and we never made it. I like that more than the original. I like that more well, than the original. We should mention that this is, in fact, and hopefully anyone that's listening to this episode knows this, but this is a cover. Originally by Pink Floyd. And I much prefer this one. What, what, did, why? What's different? What to why? <laughs> <laughs> the, the Pink Floyd, I think, is just too slow. It's laborious. It takes ages to get to anything. This one, it's sped up and it's straight in there. And there's a brilliant dark, I can understand why they picked it. It's a, there's a brilliant darkness to this song. There's like a real dark undertone. And, it, you know, up front, it's a, a clubby, dance song but really underneath it's quite a dark song just that title comfortably numb that's well, exactly really... it sounds a bit heroiny, doesn't mm. it and I, I can see why they picked it because throughout all of their work and no more so than on nightworks the album their songs have one foot in the fun one foot in the dark one foot in the grave one foot in the grave <laughs> yeah they might as well face the truth but I don't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> it was the first of their songs I heard as well. And that's it. When we're talking about the moment in time when Sisters came out and what that meant to us wherever we were in the country, this song was certainly part of that experience. And it was, it was definitely my first hearing of the Sisters. And I was blown away at the time. Mm. It was such a big, important song for me that year. I should mention at this point the reason we're celebrating this album on this week, not only because it's the only free time Robert had in his schedule to join us, <laughs> but also it's 15 years ago this week when this song was in the charts. Oh, for goodness sake. Wow, that makes me feel not young. Well, you don't look very young. Well, you're only as young as the boy you feel. <laughs> but we won't go into details there. Um, He's 27. <laughs> <laughs> Just to make very clear that it's very legal. Or maybe not. This is Mary. And the party continues there with Mary. Not really. Sorry, I was asleep. <laughs> I always hated this song. Really? Well, look, you've got all these great party tracks. Opens with Laura, goes into Take Your Mama, Comfortably Numb, and then 
it's almost like something comfortably numbs about heroin and then you nod off and Mary happens. It's a real dip. <laughs> Sounds like a euphemism. <laughs> <laughs> it's a real dip in the album. And, and it's weird because all the singles they were releasing were all sort of big party tracks. Like, they're from the New York glitter scene, you know, that, that Club Kids thing uh, that happened around the late 90s, early 2000s. And yet, this song just sounds like a really boring ballad by, I don't know, like something Bon Jovi would put out now. Just really dull. I have to disagree. I you don't have to. No, I have to. I really do. <laughs> I've always loved this song from the time when we were driving around in my friend's little red punto. God, did you, did you, did you ever sit in the room and listen to music? <laughs> <laughs> you had one CD player between the four of you and it was in the car. <laughs> As I said, we were at sixth form at the time, and this is the time when people were leaving to go to university and things. And that <laughs> lyric about, I'm going to be your friend until the day I die, that really spoke to me. That, in that moment, that's what I was thinking. I don't talk to anyone. No, no, no. Well, <laughs> thinking back, thinking that. All you've never mentioned any of these people before. And I never liked that car or that album, actually. So <laughs> I never liked you. Um, um, I appreciate it more now, aged 35. I think it's actually, it's a really nice ballad, but it does dip that album. But it was written by Jake about his friend that died. Mm. Mary. So, mm. Now how do you feel about it? <laughs> Obviously. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> May she rest in peace. <laughs> uh, she died. Yes, she did. <laughs> That's why I wrote the song. Now, Will, we've, we've mentioned and highlighted a few times over the last few weeks that you're not a fan of ballads. You struggle to connect emotionally and physically with love and um, your own personal feelings. What are your thoughts on this song? I don't like it. I'm not surprised. But there's still plenty to talk about. So I, I'm not going to play my album artwork card just yet. Which is, of course, the moment when we know you're not particularly enjoying a track. Why don't you like ballads? I, I love music with real energy and that makes you feel alive, and makes you feel excited. Drug music? No, not, not hardcore dance music. Right. I, just... I can't imagine you going to a drum and bass night and dancing topless. <laughs> well, what you do in your kitchen is up to you. <laughs> Will plays Born Slippy on his commute every morning. <laughs> Fantastic song, actually. Well, it is, actually. Yeah. Uh, but that's by the by. This is the first song on the album with a fade-out. I, and I was going to mention, actually, about the ending and how it goes into this instrumental bit and the saxophone comes on. If anything, this sounds more Pink Floyd than Comfortably Numb. Mm, good point. Maybe that's why I don't like it, then. Ah. As well as the fact that it's a really boring song. So, Dan, we're back into your punto now for the next track, <laughs> uh, which I'm sure has happened. Shotgun. This has happened a few times, actually. It's Lovers in the Backseat. In the backseat, fan of Lovers in the Backseat, Will? It's a nice track, isn't it? It's definitely an album track. I like it. It's, a, it's got that darkness to it. 
that I said that they have one foot in, but it doesn't yet have the disco kind of fun sound to it. It's an odd one. Yeah. It's an odd one. For me, it is one of my least favourite tracks, but I have to say I like that from Mary, they didn't come back in with a huge banger, and there are some big mm. bangers coming up on this album. I like how they eased us back into it. Just a moment, actually, to talk about the the reviews this album got, because I think it was so strongly received, critically. Uh, it was 4 out of 5 by Q Magazine, 9 out of 10 by NME, and The Guardian gave it 4 out of 5 as well. Now, not to give too much away, but later on during the further listening section of this podcast, we're going to talk about the album that followed, Tada, and that Tada, Tada, and the reviews for that were not as high. Do you remember they? I think they came in with I don't feel like dancing, which was this huge, almost novelty, and that is the song that I think about hearing at a wedding disco. Although, yeah. as much as I love it. And I think that really put them on a different path than what they wanted to be on. And I don't think really they ever got back this cool New York glitter, um, punk-esque. Band. I think they tried with Nightwear. They um, absolutely tried with Nightwear. That was... That was I think it was too, almost too late. Yeah. Well, that... Yeah, possibly too... I mean, like, by the time Nightwear came out, I was gone. I didn't care about them. Because there was a massive gap. There's four years between Ta-da and Nightwork. But Nightwork, they were trying to be dangerous again. And they, they even had that really cool... Robert Maplethorpe photograph of that ballet ballet dancer's ass mm. in those tight uh, little trunks. Oh, yeah. what a graphic okay. description! <laughs> <laughs> Could you two turn away, please? I just want to finish. They tried to recapture that danger, but I think once you've become every housewife's favorite, or when the X Factor are taking your songs and getting the contestants to do cover versions, you you can't go. You know, once you're not dangerous anymore, you can't be dangerous again. Mm. There's some great, I mean, I loved Nightwork and uh, Magic Hour, but it's not quite the same as his first album. Yeah. I would say the the feel, not the sound, but the feel of Nightwork is much, much closer to this album than Tada or later Magic Hour. I could imagine this album and Nightwork, those songs finding their way into the clubs, but Tada, no way, and Magic Hour, definitely not. And we're purposely kind of stepping around uh, Nightwork and Magic Hour because we probably want to come back to them at some point in the in the podcast. So yeah, a, a sleeping lion. We're kind of treading cautiously around the the body. Certainly, of the some sleeping lion. Shh, sleepy lion. There's, um, there's certainly some album tracks from Nightwork I'd like to talk about in more detail at a later date. Oh, uh, and Robert, Invisible Light. I'd love for you to. Listen to that episode. <laughs> <laughs> but Invisible Light is is wonderful. Yes. Oh, that's yeah, that's the but one. But to say with Sir Ian, so we shall not part. No, anyway, it's not my share impression. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> oh, time to move on to the next track now, and this is Tits on the Radio. Tits on the radio. (laughs) (laughs) I came in too high. (laughs) Brilliant, isn't it? I 
love this song. This is one of my favourites. Probably even more so than Laura, certainly. Comfortably numb, possibly. Take Me Out, probably not. Oh, you prefer Take Me Out than over this? Uh, take Me Out. Take Your Mother Out. Take Your Mother Out. <laughs> take Your Mama. <laughs> take Your take Mother Out. Take Your Mother Out. <laughs> <laughs> you can your mother now. <laughs> and also, interestingly, when I was researching Scissors Sisters today, they cover Take Me Out by Franz Ferdinand. Yeah, in the live line. Oh, the live yeah, line. I remember that. Yeah. Yes. It's one of the B-sides. Perhaps it will come up later in a oh. further listening. Mm. Who played bass on this? Was it Baby Daddy or was it the gorgeous Del Marquis? It was Del Marquis. Right. His bass playing is phenomenal on this album. This, this, sorry, this song. It reminds me if you took Chic with Queen's Another One Bites the Dust with a bit of B-52 humour, you get this song. I completely agree. I'd also throw into the mix John Taylor from Duran Duran. It really reminds me of some of their earlier stuff, particularly like a demo where it's not quite mixed properly and you can hear a bit more of the bass than you should be able to hear. Yeah, the bass is up. I always loved watching the way that he moved on stage, where he whipped his head and sort of brought the leg up. Oh, he's gorgeous. He was always my favourite. Always my favourite. Foaming at the mouth. Yeah, <laughs> bloody hell. <laughs> he was just so, had that little cherub, you know, that, that what, that, um, Cherubic, is that what it's called? Cherubic. Cherubic. Cherubic scoop. That gorgeous little face. And he was like very serious. But then when he cracked a smile, it was like this big cheeky grin. Gorgeous. So why Gorgeous. did you think he was going to leave Leeds cockpit with Jake? Why not him? I don't know. Because when Jake came out and he was like topless and he was all shiny and he had those leather pants on with everything you could see. I just had this wave of, oh, it's just Hot my flesh. ovaries went boom. <laughs> <laughs> I love this song because not only is... I think two things lead this song. One is the bass. Yeah. And the other is the fact that this is Anna's lead vocal from mm-hmm. the album. And I think she does a fantastic job of it, I have to say. And Jake's chorus is great as well. Yes. She, you know, she gets a lot of stick, does Animatronic, for being the bez of the yeah. Scissor Sisters. But here, I think she's, she's earned her place. Yeah, and every album actually has got a moment where she does shine and, yeah. and she sort of proves a point of, as to why she's a member of the Scissor Sisters. She's a Scissor Sister and so are you. That was the name of the, the DVD release, yes. the, mm. the at Brighton. Let's move on, I think, to the next track, which also features a lot of animatronic. So that was Filthy Gorgeous, my favourite track on the album. I'm not at all backward in coming forward on that. I think I will join you in becoming not forward in coming... What? <laughs> I love that one as well. It is a banger. Yes. That's the one that, on this album, that's the, that's the one that if you weren't already aware who Scissor Sisters were, as soon as this song came out, you bloody well were, because it was everywhere. Yeah. To the point where, after a while, I was sick of it. It's a shame when that happens, though. It's a shame when initially, when, I imagine when you first hit this album, you love that song. Mm. And it's a shame when the sort of, you know, in a way you will for your favourite band when they're new to become huge because you want them to do well and tour the world and for everyone to hear about this band. But that's a double-edged sword. Exactly. And I don't think this happened for me with this song, actually. I do remember I used to sing it on karaoke 
back in uh, a pub that I used to run with my family. Um, the family pub? Yes, and, and a, a lovely lady would do the heavy breathing as backing vocals for me. And this was commercially very, very successful for the group. We got number five in the UK singles charts. Hmm. I remember sitting down to listen to this album for the first time. I can distinctly remember the feeling when Laura kicked in. But when the ping in this song hit, I nearly lost my mind. <laughs> I thought it was genius, absolutely genius to have that ping. Yeah. And I'm sure there are lots of examples of where that happens in a song, but I can't think of a single one right now. <laughs> Do you remember the video for this? No, I don't. I no. Don't. You don't remember the video? No. At all? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> Directed by John Cameron Mitchell, who had made uh, Hedvig and the Angry Inch, which was a huge um, underground, off-Broadway off musical that became like the, the, the biggest thing in New York and then there was a London production and all, everyone who was anyone was in the audience. And one point, Hedvig would come out of the, on, on, off stage and come out onto the audience and literally on one seat stand up and she had a, uh, like a, a tassel dress and she would rub the dress back and forth so it whacked the person in the face and she was like it's a car wash ladies and gentlemen and it became a thing of who's going to sit in that seat that night so they would have you know the newest comedian sit there or um, Jerry Springer it was always someone so he came through this club in the, the New York glam underground scene called Squeezebox which is where Scissor Sisters were also performing so they got to collaborate again on this video which completely encapsulated everything that Scissor Sisters stood for. All this gender bending, all this drug culture, all this sort of cross-dressing and free sex. It's quite an anarchic video. I'm surprised you don't remember it. Track 8 now? Yes. Music is the victim. peters out you, you almost don't see that end coming it's really high energy high energy high energy and then suddenly it's just the little bits and bobs of instruments and that's it well, it mirrors how it starts i love the way it, it sort of builds it starts with that guitar then you have that i don't know what it is it's like a boing 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 thing then the drums and there's a pause then the vocal comes in and then there's a cowbell mm. so it's almost like this perfect narrative of how to build and end a song and I do think for some of the elements we've talked about before, the country and Western and the mm -hmm. sort of honky-tonk from that, the glam rock, the dynamic between Jake and Animatronic, particularly when he name-checks her during the song. Mm -hmm. I imagine when they did that live, this is one of the songs where they kind of played up to it and chased each other around the stage. And... I think they used to end with this one. I love the Beach Boys surf sound in this song. Mm. I It's not one of my favourite tracks on the album, and it kind of... It's 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 nice. It's fine for me, but it's it's just a this just doesn't really go anywhere for me. Do you think it's an album track? Definitely an album an album track for me. Have you spoken about the? Uh, yeah. No. Okay. Well, let's listen to the next song. <laughs> this is better luck next time.
That's definitely the first pure album track. I actually prefer it to the last track. I love the bass guitar in that. Again, Del, your mate. My mate, Del. Oh, my lovely Del. Mate, you'd like to mate. <laughs> my lovely Del Marquis. I like the catchy verses. I think the chorus is quite boring, but it is the most filler. And it's, it's no surprise that it's buried on side B. That's how much confident they had in this song. And, yeah, with two more tracks to spare, I think people like to the album to end on a high note. Yeah. So maybe the, the album tracks just before the last one or two are probably going to be the, not the favourites of the band. In fact, the, the, I know we're not talking about them, but the bonus tracks probably should have been on the album and this is one of the ones that should have got kicked off. Yeah, the bonus tracks. As is often the case sometimes with bonus tracks on albums mm. where you just, where you really fall in love with one and you think, well, why on earth did they omit that when yeah. X piece of rubbish is still there? Like this one, <laughs> for example. <laughs> Here's another one, a track, not a piece of rubbish. <laughs> this is It Can't Come Quickly Enough. So that was It Can't Come Quickly Enough. Uh, I love the 90s dance uh, vibes to that one. Like a chilled dance vibe. That's the reason I hate it. (laughs) (laughs) I was playing it in my room yesterday. Not in a red Fiat Punto? No, no, I'm allowed to play music indoors. Right. (laughs) I don't just have to be on wheels. (laughs) And I put it on and my boyfriend was like, you're not playing fucking Duran Duran again, are you? And I agree, it sounds like like a reject of the wedding album or big thing that late 80s early 90s shite that they were putting out that's why, I, that's why I like it hadn't heard that before and now I think I like it even more <laughs> but yeah I thought it's much I thought it's much more experimental sound for them and it's kind of it's not quite a ballad but it is much more mid-tempo than a lot of the other stuff on there I particularly like the lyrics um, it's, it's called it can't come quickly enough I like the lyric of sucking up to strangers throwing wishes to the sea do you think it's just bland and it's just an album track and it's complete filler? No, I think I prefer it to a couple of the other tracks. So we've uh, definitely acknowledged the album track status of them, but maybe not as much. I know they did it live. It was the first encore for that Brighton DVD. So they must have thought quite highly of it. Yeah, well, I don't think anyone else did. Maybe people went to the <laughs> bar. <laughs> the toilet. Or left. Hmm. Let's move on. <laughs> We're on to the last track of the album. You haven't spoken about the album cover yet. No, I haven't. I think it might be. <laughs> <laughs> so this is Return to Oz. Return to Oz, and it says this is the point where we could talk about the fantastic artwork <laughs> featured on this album. You don't like this song? 
I don't like this song at all. At, at all. all. What's no. wrong? What What don't you like about it? It's chilled out. Oh, you know, like ballads. It's too yeah. chilled. It's too slow. And as an end to the album, some people like that relaxed. I like to go out with a bang. Yeah, not always. Yeah. When we did All Saints, you liked War of Nerves. Yes, but there are exceptions to that. Yes, there are. Anyway, on to the album artwork. Um, what do you think of the album artwork? It's iconic. Yeah. I like it's Well, Will, I like it when you describe it, actually. It's, it's a lady. I think it's... <laughs> <laughs> I think it's animatronic. We can't be sure because we can't see her face. She's walking towards. She's walking through a green um, some shrubbery. Sh- some shrubbery. Shrubbery towards um, a portal into a, more of a city. Times um, Square. Is it Times Square? It looks like Times. It looks like New York. And I mean, that's where it's that from. juxtaposition of, I guess, the countryside and meets the city life, mm. um, and. I mean, do we read anything into the double yellow lines running through the middle? They don't yes. care about parking regulations. <laughs> <laughs> Is that not Florence and the Machine from behind? I mean, it, it looks a little bit like Florence Welch, but it could be animatronic. Had a, or Jake Shears. Um, oh. You could just imagine him oh, turning around, no. pulling off the wig. He's wigless. And being... <laughs> <laughs> I, I really like this song. I like how proggy it is. I like that it sounds a bit like ELO in their early days um, when they when their Eldorado album where it was very inspired by the Wizard of Oz. I think it's dark. And when they did it live, it was gorgeous. I do like this song as well. I think for me, this is almost a perfect amalgamation of Rock's music and Pink Floyd. Mm. The, the, that feeling going throughout it, but also particularly the guitar solo at the end, I think could have come from either band despite the fact that both bands were quite different in their approach. We've come to the end of the album proper. So, Robert, as a guest on this podcast, we'd love for you to go last, (laughs) and we're going to share our choices first. So, Dan, what have you got? So, further listening, the part of the podcast where we listen to something else from the acting question. We normally put a few rules into play. This time we said something from the first two albums of the band. They were released very close to each other, or something around that. So B-sides, live tracks, etc., etc. For me, I've gone from something from Ta-da, the second album by the band. Ta-da! Ta-da, love! And we've actually, as we were recording this, or before recording, we were saying we think we know what each other's going to pick for the further listening track. So let's see if you were right, lads. Here's mine. This is The Other Side. It takes another life I'll wait for Everything that comes to me as good belongs to you. I'll count the blessings as I wait for you on the other side. Good luck, and I will see. So that was The Other Side by Jer- Oh no, sorry, the Scissor Sisters. <laughs> and that's probably why I love that song so much. To me, it's almost a a homage to Save a Prayer. It's got the kind of woozy synth effects uh, during the chorus. It's got the sax solo at the end. And let's not forget that one of Scissor Sisters' first big tours in big venues was supporting Duran Duran during their reunion tour. So they That's who I saw them with. And Goldfrapp. Goldfrapp were oh, doing the other half of the I tour. And I saw Goldfrapp. What a, well, what I, a was hoping, I was hoping for Goldfrapp because I'd seen Scissor Sisters twice 
before, like in the previous three months, I wanted Gold Frap, but I was happy I saw Scissor Sisters in a completely different venue. And for a band that had only just been playing small venues, they owned it. They owned that large space. It's like a 10,000-seater. I mean, they're, they're all showmen, aren't they? That everyone, yeah. Every member of that group, whether it's Jake or Anna or Baby Daddy or Del. Or but the, the dynamic is, is really good. You know, Del and Baby Daddy are the ones who sort of drop back. They don't, they don't all try and veer for the, the attention. What I, I, I completely forgot this song actually existed until you just played it now. The underbeat is really quite fast. It's like... Do, 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 do. And it's odds with Jake's vocals, which are quite dreamy. Mm. Quite dreamy and purposefully slow. I like that blend. And that sort of... That dichotomy exists in quite a lot of... Well, big word. Big <laughs> word on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. we, normally, we normally limit ourselves to juxtaposition. Oh, juxtaposition. <laughs> that, the juxtaposition of all those different... Um, influences in in scissor sisters you know for another band if they had all these different influences it would sound like a right dog's dinner but somehow it works in scissor sisters it doesn't it doesn't you know jar somehow it just works it's good um my favorite bit is the spoken words kind of over radio interference from from animatronic at the towards the end of that track not from animatronic actually that's a sample from uh judy garland Oh. Yes. I have a right to be loved and I have a right to be in love. Oh. Oh, sorry. I thought you were just talking about talking to speak of yourself then. Not, uh... Sorry. Something came over me. I'll draw a veil over myself. <laughs> now, Robert, I'd love to invite you to go next, but as we've already said, we are the host of this podcast and we will take that right to the very last minute. Will? I've gone for an absolute banger off the second album. <laughs> Uh, and it's Kiss You Off. Am I correct in thinking that the video for this was set on a pirate ship? Or is that just my imagination? I can't remember, actually. Robert, any ideas? You seem to be the master of Scissor Sisters. No, videos. I can't remember. I let's... can't remember the... I don't remember this one being released as a single. For argument's sake, let's say it was, and I'm right. Okay. Will, what made you choose this song? It's very much a banger. There's lots of energy to it. I love the fact the start of it sounds like the start of a Pet Shop Boys song. But then it goes into what sounds like a Blondie song. Yeah. Funny you should say that. It doesn't sound like a Blondie song to me. It sounds identical to a Kiss song called Satan Sinner. That guitar with that bass line is almost like they ripped off Kiss. Well, and the cool thing with the Sister Sisters is they could have had influences from Kiss and Blondie Mm. and the Pet Shop Boys. And it would work. Yeah, exactly. Mm. I just think it's it's a great pop song. It just for me it fuses their their attitude with some great production to it as well. Uh, for me, it's the standout on that second that patchy second album. It's definitely Ooh. a slickness to this song that wasn't on the first album. Yeah, and some fans would have loved that, and some fans would have hated that. Yeah, you, I imagine. I like the second album. Yeah, I like it. I think overall sound wise, it's way more consistent in 
its production and in its tone than the first one. The first one is a typical first album, or actually, it's more like a first EP, really, by saying, we know how to do this sort of song, we know how to do this sort of song. But by the time you get to the second album, they go, right, we now know how to write songs, but we now know how to write a consistent sounding album. Yeah. I'm a big fan of the second album. I know mm. we mentioned earlier that a lot of people, <clears throat> critics particularly, thought the first album was fantastic, punk, new wave, New York, etc. Mm. And the second one was cheesy and chintzy and not great. Particularly maybe because of kicking off with I Don't Feel Like Dancing. Which became every housewife's wedding favourite. And mine. <laughs> the wet <Wetnicker> brigade. <laughs> <laughs> so, Robert, it's come to that time of the podcast... Where we, we say goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> I've been... No, not yet. not yet. So, of the three that I picked, just in case, you two haven't picked any of them. Oh, okay. Great. So, let me pick one. Or do you want me to say all three? Can you give them three in the style of Dr. Fox, counting down to the, your favourite one? The third one was, I Can't Decide. Yeah. Mm. I think that is a... It's probably my favourite off to Dar. Okay. Because it's got that kind of music hall, vaudeville kind of uh, style to it. Uh, it's like a little ditty that you can sing around the piano. Yeah. Uh, then there's Land of a Thousand Words I thought you were going to pick I because... hate that one. But it's like the lost James Bond song. And the video was like the opening titles to a James no, Bond. Um, that's one of my least favourite songs that I've ever released. Really? Yeah. I think Jake's... I think that's one of his best vocals. I think it's gorgeous. But I think the song I'm going to have to go for is... Drumroll. Everyone bang the table. <laughs> that's drums. Real drums. Oh, is that drums? Yeah. Uh, Rock My Spot. Open bracket. Crevice Canyon. Close bracket. It was a B-side to Comfortably Numb. And it's one of the songs that would appear on the live shows in those early tours. And it was When they were struggling a, for material. To they, yeah, when they were like, <laughs> oh, we've only got like 42 minutes of material. Um, but it was, it's great. It's, it's really cheeky. It's obviously about the art of some sort of sexual act. Um, but it's, it's cheeky and it's a great slice of funk. And it feels a bit like it, it plays to a big crowd. It could be an arena song. Well, before we go any further into your Crevice Canyon, let's have a little bit of a listen. Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> you better not show your face and down rivers, So it's cheeky. It's cheeky, cheeky. <laughs> <laughs> it's a cheeky holiday. <laughs> I've, I must confess, I hadn't really given this much time until today. Had you heard it before? I had, I had heard it before, but not for back not in the day. A, yeah, not for a long time. It's not one they. I mean, they never played it live once they got big. I, I'm a fan of. There's a bit of a choir, maybe even a gospel choir kind of thing going throughout it. I can imagine them performing it live for the choir and that's the element of it that I like. Okay. I just like that that funkiness to it. Yeah. It does feel much more raw than some of the tracks on the Scissor Sisters album but mm-hmm. also uh, much, obviously much more so than the Tada album. Yeah. It feels, well yeah, it feels like a demo that's been worked on. Yeah. But it's a fantastic further listening choice because 
a lot of the listeners probably have never heard that before. Yeah. And it is just like a reminder of a very early uh, time in the band's history. Mm-hmm. So yes. for that, thank, thank you. you. It's a pleasure. And thank you for joining us today. As well, thank you for having me. And Robert, it's been great hearing you talk to us today. And what if Alice's wanted to hear you talk more? So I'm on Torn Stubbs, the trash movie podcast. Much like this podcast, we will look at a movie and we will rip it to sheds and discuss it in detail. We've done over 60 episodes so far, and that was just series one. We're taking a bit of a break, but we're going to be back probably around the time that this episode goes out we might just be gearing up for series two you can find us at move to trash.co.uk or just look on apple podcasts so we'll be back next week sadly without robert will can you give us a hint of a tease about what we're going to be talking about next week yes so next week just to give you a little taster it's not girl group month again but this is a significant girl group from the 80s We've recently got back together for for to tour, and um, that's it. I'm going to leave it there. So melancholy. No, we shouldn't <laughs> say any more. Would be to give it away. <laughs> Don't forget, you can subscribe to Track by Track by searching Trash Track by Track on Apple Podcasts. Uh, please do let us know what you thought of today's episode at Move to Trash UK hashtag Track by Track. And until next week, uh, and Robert, until we meet again and see you again, I've been animatronic. I wish I was Del Marquis. And I've been an acid junkie, college flunky, dirty puppy, dirty bastard. Oh, ding. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye.